Thanks for tuning in today. Please visit NemoursWellBeyond.org to catch all our episodes and sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also use the voicemail feature on the website to leave a message with your episode ideas or questions. You just might be featured on an upcoming episode of the show. Without further ado, let's go. Well Beyond Medicine. Welcome to Well Beyond Medicine, the Nemours Children's Health Podcast. Each week, we'll explore anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. I'm your host, Carol Vassar, and now that you're here, let's go. Let's go, oh, oh, well beyond medicine. At Nemours Children's Hospital in Orlando recently, staff and patients celebrated Well Beyond Medicine Day with some very honored guests, who we are pleased to have join us on this episode of the podcast. Steve Sheehy is a remarkable man who answered the Nemours call-out for an adult male with osteogenesis imperfecta, OI, more commonly known as brittle bone disease. The reason? to be part of the Nemours Reflections campaign. Already lined up for the campaign was four-year-old Nemours OI patient M.J. Strickland, a dynamite young man who has become known as the mayor of NCH Orlando and really the entire area of Orlando known as Lake Nona. Nemours' Cheryl Munn boarded the Mobile Well Beyond Medicine podcast truck to talk with Steve, MJ's mom, Alex Rice, and the leader of MJ's care team, Nemours' orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Alex Stahl, about OI. How is it diagnosed and treated today versus when Steve was growing up in the 70s and 80s? Barriers faced and overcome, particularly in the realm of education, the importance of community connection, and how... Exactly, Steve, who lives in Detroit, Michigan, became a Nemours model. Steve Sheehy explains. Well, I was contacted by a friend of mine who is active in the OI Foundation, and uh, they had said that they were looking for an adult male with OI, and I was like, hey, I know someone like that. That's me. So she had given me the contact information. She's the widow of a friend of mine who also had OI. And, um, and so she and I talked about it. And so I, I, I called the number she gave me and, and here we are. And it's been a wonderful experience. It was fun. It was just a, everybody was very professional and it was quite eye opening for me, you know, to get that many pictures taken of me, and, <laughs> you know, and it was interesting kind of seeing the, the whole process of it and getting to know everybody. I uh, heard the people from Nemours. I was a little nervous going in because I'd never done anything like it. But it was it was an interesting and fun afternoon. Yeah, you really did a great job. It really, we had some beautiful ads. Oh, well, thing. thank you. Yeah. So I'm going to move to Dr. Stahl and ask you, what is osteogenesis imperfecta? How is it diagnosed? How is it treated? Literally translated, osteogenesis imperfecta means imperfectly formed bone. Um, it's a group of genetic disorders that are characterized by bone fragility. There's a wide range of severities. Some are very mild and some very severe. In terms of diagnosis, it's ultimately a clinical diagnosis based on history, physical exam, radiographic findings. Um, there's been incredible advancements in uh, our genetic detection. And so many forms of OI can be confirmed genetically, but not all. 
How has the treatment changed over the years? When I started my training, there was really no medical management for osteogenesis imperfecta, say for bone health optimization, trying to optimize calcium, vitamin D, but no real treatments. Bisphosphonates have really transformed uh, the care of OI over the past uh, couple of decades. Um, there's some exciting new medications in the pipeline that, that work differently that I think we're all kind of excited about. There's been significant advancement in surgical options for stabilization in OI. The implants themselves are more predictable and easier to use and have helped many kids that we didn't have access to previously. Stephen, tell me about some of the barriers. Yeah, when, when I was born a long time ago, in the 1970s, and uh, there really was not a whole lot known at the time. It was uh, in terms of research and prognosis. You know, I myself was born with nine broken bones here a dislocated hip. So the doctors knew right away. However, at the time, there were still a lot of cases where it wasn't diagnosed right away. And so there were a misdiagnosis of child abuse, children would fracture. But there just wasn't much of a prognosis at the time. The doctors had given my mom, when she met with them, they said, well, don't expect much. That he might not be able to sit up, might not be able to go to school. But my mom is a, <laughs> she's a feisty lady. And she, uh, she basically stormed out of the meeting and said, nope, nope, that's, that's not right. That's not what's going to happen. So she raised me as a, you know, just an average kid. And, but there were barriers at the time and terms of education, you know, the Americans with Disabilities Act had not been passed. So she had a lot of fights in the schools to get me into mainstream classes because that was relatively new at the time. So, you know, there were a lot of, a lot of barriers with, just with education, but it definitely helped having a mom that didn't like the word no, being told, no, you can't do this. Through all the challenges, I still had a, a as normal a childhood as I could. And uh, she made sure of that. I love that. And I also uh, overheard you say that you moved around a lot. So she had to refight that battle over and over, didn't she? She did quite a bit. I was born and raised in the Detroit area, mostly. But as a child, we moved around to Boston and Chicago. And you're right. Every time it was a new school, they had to get a new IEP. And it was interesting for her to see the, just the vast difference in how different school districts treated and had services available to, to kids with disabilities. So, yeah, yeah, it was a fight. Well, hopefully. I hope things are better. I'm going to talk to you a little bit, Alex. Let's start with what went through your mind when MJ was first diagnosed. Well, he was diagnosed when I was 20 weeks pregnant. The first um, anatomy study that they did, or anatomy scan, and they noticed that his long bones were measuring short. So we waited a couple weeks and they started measuring shorter and shorter. And um, we finally did genetic testing. And I think it was at 28 weeks, it came back that he was positive for OI type 4. It was really scary at the time because no one really had any facts or expectations that they could give us. It was kind of vague that, you know, he might be severe, he might not, he might have broken bones, he may not. We don't really know what to tell you. They didn't see anything when they did the um, sonograms, and he was ended up being born with five broken bones, uh, both femurs, humerus, tibia, and a clavicle. And kind of like to piggyback off what Stephen said, 
when he was born, one of the doctors came in and she's like, oh, you'll never be able to put clothes on him. You know, he'll you never do this. He'll never do that. And I mean, as you've seen the mayor of like, no, no, he's spunky and <laughs> vivacious. And <laughs> yeah, he was doing wheelies down the hall. <laughs> I love that. And going, let's go playroom. I'm in. Let's go. So that was amazing. So after the diagnosis, how did your world shift? Um, a lot changed. I had to quit my job. Finding care for him wasn't possible. So, yeah, just staying home and trying to navigate the school system is what we're doing now and finding appropriate care for him in a mainstream classroom and him being able to get the education that he deserves. It's still a fighting point that we have to advocate for because a lot of people still don't know about OI and they think it's all everyone's the same kind of across the board people I run into and they don't understand that there's so much difference between the types and a type four kid one can be walking one can be in a wheelchair it's just all very different. Steve let me ask you a little bit about the differences between when you were diagnosed and how you know you've experienced your son also being diagnosed. In terms of the services available for uh, especially in the school it seems to be Vastly different and better, all for the better now. The school district that my son is in, my son Christopher, uh, he's going into the fifth grade, but you know, right at the start from kindergarten, they had an IEP and they had a whole tour ready to work with us. You know, it's a physical therapist who we're friends with anyway, which turned out very nicely. Yeah. He's a great guy. And uh, OT and social work and just whatever, whatever we needed. I don't recognize that type of you know, the way it was when I was in kindergarten and all the way through fifth grade, you know, so it's, we're just very thankful for all the, the groundwork that's been laid for kids nowadays. You know, and when we started originally the school, you could tell they were very cautious because when they hear of the child with a lie that has brittle bones, they want to be very cautious. And so they were quite cautious, especially being around kindergartners and my son, Christopher, is, is ambulatory. He's able to walk. And so they were very concerned that kids would run into him and could knock him down. Or as we all know, if a child of the eye falls, that's a very bad thing. You know, it's not just scrape yourself off. It's, you know, six weeks of recovery from a fracture. Um, so they were just being very cautious. So he had a, an aide with him all the time at paraprofessional. But as he got older and as his fellow students got older and more responsible for their own actions, you know, he hasn't needed the paraprofessional. And so now he's in a mainstream class. Oh, he's always been in a mainstream class, I should say, but just pretty much on his own. It's just wonderful, the programs they have. Dr. Stahl? Well, I think that there's been a couple of substantial changes that have already occurred that we haven't you know, really discussed. I think that our interconnectivity through the internet and through other uh, medium have really connected, uh, one, a lot of families, but also a lot of professionals. And so... OI is, is a rare condition, and the more that we can pool our knowledge and our experience, um, the better care and understanding that we can uh, provide. So it's much, much easier to disseminate information and expertise and resources than I judge it previously was. I suspect that Steve was kind of on an island growing up, and I think that that is probably not true for most families now. So I think that that's been a huge advancement. I mentioned this earlier, but there are some exciting medications and other medical treatments um, that have happened or that are in the pipeline that I think are very promising. Um, the results are early, but they're very encouraging. 
And it takes a long time to get a medication from development to widespread application. And it takes, you know, 20 years to get 20 years outcome. So it's going to take a while to really know if the, you know, short-term benefits outweigh any long-term uh, concerns. We've seen in other rare conditions, though, there's been really tremendous advancements in genetic treatments. I think about another condition called spinal muscular atrophy, where there were no treatments at all 10, 15 years ago. And now there's a very um, effective um, intrathecal injection and even a gene therapy that has a single treatment, though very expensive, you know, essentially mitigates in, in that entire condition. And I, I suspect that in my lifetime, we will see the introduction of true gene therapies um, for OI. The heterogeneity of OI makes that a little bit challenging to apply to everybody because for every genetic defect, you have to have another treatment for that. But for the more common types, OI type 1, even 3 and 4 that are well characterized, they're all collagen-based. I suspect in my lifetime that we'll see if not a, a cure, a very durable, uh, substantial treatment. Alex, I want to ask you a little bit. You probably felt very much on an island. That is one bonus of social media and outreach. Has that helped or have yeah. you used it at all? Yes, social media has been great. Um, on Facebook, there's an OI parents group and it's parents all over the country, all over the world. Talk to other parents and families in Europe, Nepal, Australia. I mean, they're everywhere and it's nice to be able to communicate and you know what do you do there what are you doing here and just being able to talk about like daily struggles or different ideas viewpoints um mj lost a tooth the other day and i was worried so i went on the my parents group and i'm like hey what do you guys think about this and it's just nice being able to reach out and we have this little family and most of the people i've never met in person but we talk enough that i you know feel like i've known them forever so a new mother who's child is diagnosed with OI, what, what would you recommend? Reaching out and like talking to the other moms. There was specifically a group that we all had babies at the same time. And they're my closest friends now. I mean, there's, there are people I reach out to and having their support really means everything. And finding a good medical team that stands behind you <laughs> and is supportive is life-changing. MJ didn't have a good medical team for his first year and it was a struggle he had a hard time and it was hard on us and now he's just blossomed and it the amount of support and love is just something we'd be forever grateful for and by good medical team you mean dr stall right yeah you know <laughs> okay okay great how can the community help spread awareness and understanding is are there something other people can do to help the internet is a huge way now. Uh, you know, growing up, we didn't have the internet, of course, and, and you know, there, there was kind of on an island in some ways. The OI Foundation was my only contact with other people with OI, and, and I would go to a, an OI clinic, Shriners of Chicago, and uh, that's where I met other people with OI, and that was almost the highlight of my year as a kid because it was the only time I would see other kids with OI. And then as an adult, I started going to the OI conference and that was huge for me. Just meeting other people and becoming friends with other people as adults with OI and then, but your family's there and just seeing everybody and it's a care, common shared experience of, you know, having to worry about a broken bone when you go travel or when you go to the store, 
just go outside to play. Not everybody has that. So to kind of have that as the shared common experience is, uh, you know, is just really, really big. So, you know, social media and the internet is, is huge now. You can find people from around the world with OI and become friends with them. My, my wife and I have friends in Australia who we never met in person. Very well may never meet in person, but yet they're like friends that live next door because we, you know, my wife chats with, with her all the time, you know, and that is fostered and augmented by the internet, you know, and social media. So I just like to give a small shout out to actually the OI foundation. Um, you know, the internet is, it's connected people. There's a lot of good information, a lot of bad information. And, you know, over the years, the OI foundation has been an incredible resource for patients, for physicians, for therapists, for anyone that's involved, it's really sort of helped advance medical and surgical treatments. And so in terms of educating people, I think first people need to know that OI exists. And then I would, second thing I would do is point them to the OI Foundation as a resource that's pretty comprehensive and reliable. The second thing, which is, you know, not to be a, a Debbie Downer in this, but, you know, most children born with OI are spontaneous and don't come from families um, with OI and particularly in the milder forms of OI in which children are not born with fractures, fractures in early childhood commonly is uh, attributed to abuse. It is an unfortunate truth that child abuse is much more common than OI. The consequence of that is that many parents are separated from their children that are not yet diagnosed with OI. And I know that that's a really you know, traumatic experience for everybody involved. And having awareness of the condition and the specifics of the types of fractures that they get and how they're different and having that awareness, um, I think, can help you know, people in general and healthcare professionals in particular, you know, not separate families when they don't need to be. Kind of going to piggyback on Dr. Stahl about what he said about the um, OI Foundation for new parents, especially. They have so many resources on there and files that you can print out and take to a doctor. When MJ first started going to therapy, there was like a four-page packet that I took that I was like, here, this is from the OI Foundation to help you out because his one therapist had never dealt with someone that had OI, but she was willing to learn. And now she's been with them for five years and she's phenomenal. So it's just, it is a great resource. I feel like I need to give a shout out to the OI Foundation as well. I know I, I'm, I'm sensing a fool here. You know, I met my wife at the OI Foundation conference. So she was a widow and her son had OI. And so she was, was there and that's, well, we met at an event to just hit it off while we're married. Oh, that's it, awesome. Yeah. You have a real great life with how many kids? I have two kids. My son with OI, who technically is my stepson, but he's my son. And then my wife and I had a, a boy three years ago and he does not have OI. Life definitely has its challenges for sure, you know, but it has challenges for everybody, you know, and it's like, well, what are your challenges? And some people, their challenges are invisible. Mine aren't, you know, everybody knows it's hard for me to go up a flight of stairs. Well, it's impossible to go up a flight of stairs, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but it's worth it. I had friends, I've had one of my best friends since the eighth grade and, you know, we were friends in high school and I was on the debate team and. We were the first debate team in our school's history to make it to the state finals. And, and then, you know, and then I went away to college and I lived in the dorms there and 
And then another best friend of mine, and we were roommates for four years, and we're still best friends. And uh, then I went away to grad school, lived on my own. And all this was stuff that my parents had. The mindset was, you're going to live a normal life. How can we help you get there? And, you know, had to have been insanely difficult for my parents to let me go away to college and live on my own. And once I graduated from undergrad, I lived in Cincinnati, which is five hours away. How they did that, you know, now that I'm a parent, I don't know how they did that, but, you know, they're amazing. Life is worth it. It's difficult. But, you know, now I'm working. I have a full-time job and in IT for over 20 years. We're, you know, married, have a house, pay my taxes. You know what I mean? Tell kids to get off my lawn. You know, all that kind of stuff. It's fun. Well Beyond Medicine. Thanks for listening and celebrating Nemours Well Beyond Medicine Day with me, Carol Vassar, guest interviewer Cheryl Munn, and our honored guests, Steve Sheehy, Alex Rice, and Dr. Alex Stahl. How do you go well beyond medicine? How do you celebrate it? Visit NemoursWellBeyond.org to submit a comment or leave a voicemail. That's NemoursWellBeyond.org. While you're there, check out our other episodes and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Thanks, as always, to Che Parker and Susan Masucci for their production assistance and to Cheryl Mon. I give kudos for stepping in to the interviewer portion of this episode. Join us next time for an encore episode about the Nemours Can Grow Garden a great example of going well beyond medicine. Until then, remember to gather We Can Change Children's Health for Good, well beyond medicine. Let's go, oh, oh, well beyond medicine.